This is Coach Aaron Saft on the Running is Life podcast, episode 200, quite a mile mark. Um, just what a, what a what an experience it's been, man, uh, as I look back through all the episodes and the evolution of this podcast, I thought it was a good time to just reflect. Here we are, I'm recording on December 13th of 2023, and um Man, you know, with the the new year coming, uh, the state of our sport, I think it's a, a you know kind of a time to reflect and think about some of the things that um, have evolved in our sport. Uh, to give you a little background, uh, my running started back in 1990. I was a middle schooler. I ran cross country and track um, in middle school. That was eighth grade for me, um, and then went into high school. And really um, enjoyed, you know, my experience in high school. My cross country coach was amazing. Um, I had some great track coaches, um, and that's where my experience with um, learning about training principles began. Um, my cross country coach was not involved in track, and I had to teach myself a lot. I asked him a lot of questions, of course, but I also had to read a lot. And there wasn't much. Um, books out there at that time about training and training principles. Um, so a lot of it I pulled from, um, you know, media magazines, um, and learned from magazines like runner's world and running times. Um, and, uh, you know, talking to other runners and finding out what kind of things they were doing and, uh, and just trying it myself, you know, being an experiment of one and, and unfortunately my teammates too. Well, fortunately and unfortunately, cause they went through some, some hellacious workouts. <laughs> um, but that's where I began, um, learning about training because I had to train myself primarily in indoor and outdoor track. As I said, I had great coaches, but they just didn't know what to do with me, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I had a great high school career, um, went on to run for NC State, um, really enjoyed my collegiate experience. I had some amazing, amazing races and places and experiences throughout college. Um, and post-collegiately, I started running um, on the roads. And around the year, I guess it would have been around when we moved to uh, Blacksburg, Virginia for my wife to go to med school, which would have been 2003, uh, is where I really started um, trail racing. Um, I always loved trails. I grew up um, in the Shangunk Mountains um, in uh, kind of southeastern New York, if you will, about an hour and a half northwest of uh, Manhattan. And uh, the the uh, the gunks, as we affectionately call them, uh, was a, a great ridge line with um, just trails all over the place. And I lived in Middletown, New York. Um, my dad lived in um, Walker Valley, and so I would uh, go up there and, and do runs up by him. And we would always search for trails where we lived in Middletown. Um, be it an old rail bed or whatever we could find. We just loved to get out in the woods and run, you know, my friends and I, my teammates and I. Uh, so my affinity for trail running started there. And, uh, you know, when I first started into kind of trail racing, um, the sport was, you know, it was, I mean, it wasn't in its infancy. I can't say that, but it was young. It was not what it is today. The sport has evolved so much. You know, at the time, I remember um, winning a gift card to a new company called Innovate, <laughs> and uh, that began um, a long um, and storied history with that brand. Um, I ran for them professionally um, and, you know, really got to uh, got to evolve with, with trail footwear. You know, Innovate was the first one that really kind of separated themselves, I would say, um, from what was, you know, an industry that took a trail hiking shoe or boot and tried to make it into a trail running shoe. Um, you know, when we look at the old models like Montreal and such, they're pretty clunky. Um, you know, not, not the, the, the swiftest things to run in and innovate kind of changed that they came out with more minimal, um, very lightweight and fast grippy, 
um, shoes. It was, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, a shock to the industry, uh, you know, this brand and, um, obviously to, you know, to this day, and we're going to talk more about shoes, um, as we talk about the evolution of our sport and kind of the state of the sport as well. But, um, you know, like just having, um, you know, footwear that I enjoyed running and racing in was just uh, an amazing, amazing experience because road shoes at the time, you know, I mean, granted, again, they've evolved, but they were so much more advanced. They were so far ahead of trail shoes. Um, so just the, you know, seeing that evolution of the trail shoe has been pretty amazing. I've really enjoyed, um, seeing where trail shoes have come and how many brands now have trail models, um, and the, you know, the various stack heights and, uh, uh, cushioning levels, traction patterns. It's just incredible. So, um, really cool to watch. And, you know, other things that have changed is obviously technology. Oh my gosh. Uh, not just within the shoes, but, you know, at the time we didn't have GPS watches. There was no Strava, you know, it was just basically, um, you had a, a Timex Ironman watch, uh, that you press start and stop <laughs> and got your time, um, time on your feet. You kind of guesstimated distance. Uh, there was no mapping apps or anything like that. It was very simplistic, you know, um, no online logs. It was, you know, paper and pencil. You just kind of wrote down what you did. I still have all my old logs, which are fun to go through and see kind of things I was doing and what I was, you know, um, doing for races. Um, and I, I stayed sub ultra, um, from, you know, uh, up until 2008. And that's when I ran my first 50 K at the new river Valley, uh, 50 K, which is on an old rails to trail next to the new river. Uh, beautiful course. Um, I believe it's coming up here in March or April, um, still going on. So if you want to try to PR at the 50 K distance, that's a great race to do it at, um, in Virginia. I think it starts in, uh, I can't remember if it's Dumfries or, or Galax. Uh, it's probably, it's probably Dumfries, but anyway, forgive me. Uh, you can check that course out. It's, it's great. I love that. Uh, it's, you know, uh, thought about going back this year, but just didn't quite line up with, with what I was, you know, um, going to do with Hellbender. So, but perhaps someday. So, um, you know, I, I continued to grow in distance, um, and, and the sport evolved, you know, GPS watches started coming out. Um, obviously Strava started to, to, uh, to become a player, um, you know, mapping apps. So obviously our sport has come a long way since, (laughs) since when I started, um, you know, and running the sub ultra distance was so much fun. Um, you know, it was, uh, um, mountain racing, uh, trail racing. That was, that was where I got my roots and I still love those races. I still love sub ultra distances. Um, I don't race them as much, uh, but I still love them. (laughs) I think it's, uh, you know, it's a great part of our sport and I hope that sport continues to grow. Um, as ultra running has kind of eclipsed, you know, as we look to go further and test ourselves more, uh, ultra running has really eclipsed, um, the, you know, the, the normal trail runs, um, Obviously, it's been popularized by by bigger events and bucket list races, uh, and we'll talk about those as well. But um, I kind of want to talk about some things that have you know kind of changed our sport. Um, there's the usual that everybody talks about: the Dean Carnassus books, Ultra Marathon Man, and of course, Born to Run. Yeah, there, there's those are great books. They are. Um, they got a ton of people into our sport. Um, gave them a glimpse into what it's like to be an ultra runner um, and turn people on to, to trying new things, um, you know. Um, but uh, some things that I have learned along the way and have kind of changed my running and my, my way of thinking, um, and I've talked about some of these in the past, but I want to kind of touch on some of them as, um, you know, we reflect on the current state of our sport because I think it's, um, it's, it's good to... Um, to visit these things, to, um, to read some of these items for yourself to, you know, to, to gain more knowledge. Uh, so you understand how to better train and stay healthy. Um, so, um, I, you know, I'm going to start with, um, well, this first book is probably, 
one of the Bibles of running. There are a few that you should have on your bookshelf. I'm not going to talk about all of them today. Um, I'm actually going to talk about a, um, I'm going to talk with two other coaches next week about coaching. And that's, you know, that's, that'll be part of this conversation, but we're going to do a deep dive into coaching and what you should be looking for in a coach next week. So, um, you know, stay tuned for that podcast, but, um, Jack Daniel's book, Daniel's running formula. I've got, it's, I've got to be on it's, I don't even know what edition now. Um, I think I have maybe third or fourth edition and it may be up on the sixth by now, who knows, but, um, that book, it gives you such a great premise of exercise physiology. It's one of the ones that takes a deep dive into science. It may take a little extra time to read through it, reread, but it does explain exercise physiology at its finest. Um, you know, Dr. Jack Daniels is an exercise physiologist. He is one of the prominent coaches, uh, if not you know one of the most world-renowned coaches um and his book is just uh, a wealth of information and knowledge that if you want a basic concept of training that's the book that you should get it gives you such good ideas and principles that you can apply to any level um be it you know um if you're um if you're looking to improve in half marathon marathon even in ultra there are principles in there that will help you understand training and what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, so great book to read. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's probably one that you should have somebody you could ask some questions to because it does get, you know, kind of a deep dive into the science. So if you do not have a science background, it may be a little bit tough to understand some concepts. So if you have somebody you can talk to, um, ask questions to, you know, a, another coach, a friend that has a good grasp of the science, then, you know, it'll help you to have those conversations, you know, perhaps over a long run. <laughs> but Jack Daniel's book, um, Daniel's Running Formula is, you know, probably one of the top ones. You'll hear other coaches talk about it all the time. All of us have earmarked copies of various things that we pull out. Um, you know, my athletes, I have various workouts that I've created in training peaks that, you know, they, they're just right from Jack Daniels. Um, so some great stuff in that book, great resource for everybody to have in order to understand their training principles. Um, now for, um, our ultra runners, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) I'm still sick. (laughs) It's been three weeks and I can't get rid of this. So forgive me. Um, the other book that I like to talk about, and again, I'm going to talk about a few other ones in, in other areas, but um, in training is Coop's um, uh, Training Essentials for Ultra Running. Um, so Jason Coop's book, he's on the second edition. Um, there are, again, just some awesome, awesome chapters in that that explain training. There's no training plans in there. That's not what it's about. Um, it is about how to train for ultra. Um, I think Coop does a great job of explaining um, and, and laying out the principles of training for an ultra and why we do them. What's the science behind it? That's the biggest thing. Uh, you know, Coop looks for, for the science in, in training and what we should be doing and why. You know, how is it going to help us improve? So his book um, I highly recommend as well as um, subscribing to his research essentials for ultra running. Uh, He does a monthly dive into three different studies that will help you understand what's going on in the world of science. What is science helping us understand in ultra running? Um, You know, I talk about every time it comes out, um, actually this evening, uh, we're having a Zoom call with the the athletes I coach and talking about the the articles, how they're applicable to us, uh, what they make us understand. And I'll be talking about a concept um, a little bit later on that's actually covered in volume nine, which just came out. Um, so he has nine volumes out right now. So 27 different studies have been reviewed. He talks about how they're applicable to the sport, you know, what we should be looking at and considering and applying to our own training. So uh, a great resource, a great, great, great resource. So, you know, those two things by Jason Coop, so awesome. Um, and, um, you know, throwing in there as well, um, Jason Coop also helped create the ultra running coaching um, uh, module for USCA. 
UESCA. UESCA, UESCA, UESCA is um, an online training platform for coaches. It gives you um, a, a certification, and it is probably the best certification that I have found thus far. A lot of coaches ask me what they should do, and I encourage them to go after that. So if you are just looking as a runner to understand training better, to train yourself better, the USCA models are a great resource. Um, now, I, I should probably state, I should have stated earlier, I have no affiliation with any of these things that I'm mentioning. Um, I purely believe in them, you know, just because I think they'll help you. So um, the USCA, I've done uh, three of their training modules. I've done the running module. Uh, so run for run coaches, that would be for marathon and under. Um, fantastic program, great stuff. It goes into um, our physiology. It goes into our um, our body, and it goes into our our different energy systems and how they work. So, very good deep dive. Like I said, you know, I've gone through a lot of different certifications, and the USCA is probably the most complete. Um, you know, the only component I'll say it's missing is in programming. Um, that's the toughest piece. And that's something that I've been trying to come up with is a, um, a, uh, a programming, um, certification for coaches so that they can understand what programming looks like, how you should program, you know, how you work through different systems. But, um, you know, there, there's a little bit in there, but that's the, that's the biggest component and that's the toughest thing. Uh, I'm actually going to be doing a, um, a program with Jason Coop coming up. Um, it's live Zoom calls, and he mentors coaches. And so, you know, I, I just want to go through some questions and hear other ideas. Um, I'm always trying to evolve with my coaching and learn more. Um, you know, I went to the USCA um, Ultra Running Conference in um, Colorado Springs this past fall. Uh, it was super helpful. Uh, like, I intend on going back anytime they host it um, because it just was um, it was wonderful. Uh, and, you know, these things are all knowledge based. So the more, you know, the better you're off, right? So the more you can apply to your training and understand the principles that are going to make you better. So, uh, whether you are a coach or a runner, you know, these are things I think can help. <clears throat> so, um, the USCA training models modules are pretty awesome. Um, so, you know, to finish off that thought, um, I've got the running certification, I've got the ultra running certification, and I also have the exercise sports science nutrition certification um and now again i've talked about this in the past that does not make me a nutritionist i am not anywhere near a nutritionist i understand the principles behind the energy systems and how to fuel them um i do not recommend you know any type of dietary supplementation programs anything like that uh i just understand things better for my runners so i can make sure that um you know they're they're just doing the right things. And if I see a red flag, I can recommend them to a, a, a dietitian or a nutritionist. Um, so that's, that's the idea behind that. But like I said, USCA, fantastic. And, you know, check out the show notes. I'm going to have a ton of resources in there. Um, all of these things that I'm going over, I'll have links to in the show notes. Um, so check those out. Um, the other um, um, piece of that is that coaching has evolved so much. Uh, when I first started trail running, there weren't any trail specific, let alone ultra specific, um, coaches, you know, coaches were basically marathon and under, and it was road. That's, you know, that's who coaches targeted. Um, you know, if you were a trail runner, um, it, it began to, I began to see coaches that were kind of, um, going after trail runners probably in around 2000 I don't know maybe 2005 to 2007 somewhere in there I started seeing you know more trail specific coaches maybe even a little bit later um is when I started finding you know some of these um these uh athletes that had done some amazing things on the trail and you know it, it was probably a side gig for them you know, but that's, that's kind of when I started to see it. But, you know, now you have all sorts of, of coaches, uh, be it specialized or broad range, such as myself, um, you know, that that's really come a long way. Um, and it's amazing to see, 
um, you know, this, this coach evolution and, and how many people are, are getting into coaching. Um, it's, you know, it's a great thing, uh, you know, as, as well as it can be, you have to be careful, obviously. Um, not everyone just because they grab a certification is going to be a great coach. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of what we're going to talk about next week is what to look for when searching for a coach and how do you find and line yourself up with a coach that's probably going to work well with you. So we'll talk more about that next week. But, uh, you know, as we talk about the, the state of our sport, I'm amazed by um, the uh, the evolution of coaching, which is super cool, and I'm happy to be a part of that. Um, one of the other resources that I've come upon is um, Nick Tiller, Dr. Nick Tiller. Um, he's been on a number of podcasts. He's on you know the Coopcast. I keep mentioning Coop because he's such a great resource to our sport. Um, but um, you know he, Nick Tiller. Um, he looks at pseudoscience, right? So like things that are out there that really aren't doing us any, anything, any good. <laughs> and, um, he is, um, a part of the skeptical inquirer. You can check that out online. I'll put the link online, but there's some really amazing articles on there, um, about, you know, what is, what science and what is pseudoscience. So what works and what really doesn't work. Um, and I, you know, I really, there's some things that popped up, um, that, you know, I really, um, I don't want to go into too deep a depth, but, you know, we'll, we'll kind of talk about some of the things that, that are in our sport right now. Um, one being recovery tools. One of the big things that, um, Dr. Tiller has kind of, um, wrote out and spoke out against is all of these recovery tools. It's a, you know, it's a huge industry you know, multi-million dollar industry is these recovery tools. The reality is the efficacy of them is nil. <laughs> um, there is no, um, no scientific data that, you know, proves that any of these recovery tools are doing exactly what they proclaim. And that's, you know, that's a travesty that, you know, we spend all this money and there's no data to back up that they're actually working. Um, you know, be it foam rollers, be it the Normatec boots. Um, you know, I, I don't mean to, to, to call out specific brands, but you know, there's just nothing that backs that these are, um, are worth the, are, you know, the money that you're spending on them. Um, all it is, is, you know, if it feels good to you, then that's great, but it's not adding any benefit. So, you know, don't, don't pour too much money into these recovery tools. Uh, as much as, you know, they claim they do this, that, and the other thing, uh, you know, unfortunately, as Dr. Tiller states, um, they do not. And that's part of the pseudoscience and some of the things that he talks about in the, the Skeptical Inquirer. So, you know, check that out. There's a lot of good stuff there. And, you know, we'll get into um, one other piece here, and um, that would be shoe tech. Um, so, um, obviously, we talked a little bit about shoes earlier, but um, the evolution of the shoe with... Uh, plated technology is really, oh my gosh, we're at the forefront of, um, you know, this kind of burgeoning technology that's really obviously changed our sport. I mean, we're producing world records left and right in all distances, which obviously has to be attributed partly to the shoes. There's a million things that, not a million things, but there's a lot of things that can help facilitate these records. Obviously, training concepts is one of them. Um, but, you know, the shoes are definitely a, a huge player in this. Now, what I never considered and what we need to consider as consumers is that not all super shoes, even the Nikes, the, the most uh, prominent and most um, effective. If we look at the studies, the the Nike, you know, um, Alpha Fly is is the most successful of all the super shoes. That's when they do the test. That's the one that produces and yields the best results, um, the best benefit for the runner. But not not every super shoe is for every runner. There are runners in which ha the shoes have no effect. So it does not provide you any benefit. There are even people that it provides a negative benefit. They actually run slower in a super shoe compared to just a regular running shoe, a non-super shoe. Now, that, that blew my mind. I had never, ever thought about that. 
But when I, it, this was actually in um, Coop's Research Essentials, I, uh, I can't remember which um, volume it was in, but they talk about that, you know, super shoes can have a negative effect. Like they can actually make you slower. They're non-beneficial. That's incredible. Um, but who would ever have thought, you know, all they tout is that, you know, we're receiving such great benefits from these, you know, these athletes are running these incredible times, but you know, the reality is it may not benefit you at all. And you may buy a $250 shoe and it actually makes you slower. That's something that's, I mean, is it still worth it to try potentially because of what can, you know, what, what, how you can benefit from it. Um, but if you buy it and you're noticing times are slower, um, I, you know, I just don't want you to be caught off guard. So recognize what it's doing for you. Is it actually making you faster? Are you doing better with the shoe? If not, then, you know, just a heads up. That's, you know, that's a reality, <laughs> which is crazy. <coughs> so, you know, um, again, not everything that they're, they're saying is the best for us is, is really the best. It's crazy. But that's the reality. Now, with these records that are coming down with these shoes, um, another piece of our sport that has kind of taken off is FKTs, or fastest known times. Um, over COVID, it was a way that people could get a performance um, and you know, put something on the calendar, have something to train for. Which, you know, that's really cool that we had this, um, this idea to, to go after these records on, on various, you know, routes and create new routes, which is super cool. And that's continued to be the case, even as races have, you know, obviously begun to, to come back and, and even new races popping up, FKTs are still, you know, uh, a part of our sport, which is cool. And, you know, and it's, it, you don't have to be an elite to uh to go after an fkt you can just establish your own record or go after one that you you see which is you know within your reach that's that's super cool i think that's a neat part of the sport that has just come to you know come to light and come to fruition um you know this it's not a new concept obviously fkts have been around for a while uh but you know again you know within recent years it's it's become more and more relevant to uh to running which is that's that's like like i said that's just a really cool piece of the sport um you know and it's not for everybody it's like i'm not a huge you know fkt person um i've set fkts and i just don't care <laughs> i don't want to submit them I, like that's just you know not what i'm doing the route for you know like people will chase them and want to get on the fkt boards which is cool i think that's great you know um but um like i said it, it's not uh, not something that I, I, I really, <laughs> really care too much about. Um, I, I'm not looking for a claim. Um, you know, I, like I said, I just like running the route sometimes and sometimes I, I run them fast and, and, you know, I've had people ask me, well, why didn't you submit that? That would be the FKT. Well, uh, yeah, I, I guess, but <laughs> I just don't, it doesn't bother me. It's not, you know, it's not something I really want to take the time to, to submit and, <laughs> and care about. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing about FKTs. It's the fastest known time. There still could be a faster time that somebody's run previously, but, you know, they just didn't bother su to submit it. But anyhow, um, I digress. FKTs are pretty cool, and I'm glad it's a part of our sport. I'm glad people are, are chasing and reaching for, for new things and being creative. I think it's a really neat um, way to do things. So kudos to them. Um, you know, also... Um, FKTs have been a welcome addition because our sport has grown so much when we look at um, now the amount of lotteries that are taking place in order to get into various races. It's, you know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, like back in the day, you know, when I, I started running, even ultra running, it was just, um, there was, there's very few online registration platforms. Those have grown immensely, obviously. Um, but there, you know, it was, it was paper and pencil. You, um, you know, you could go online, print off the entry form, um, fill it out, mail a check, uh, and you know, you were into the race. And so, the you know this this lottery system has has become such a 
kind of <laughs> a bane to much of our existence because mon- many of us want to to run this race or that race but you know due to the lottery we have to wait years upon years and that's you know that's that's a shame um that you know that it's come to that point um i, I don't see any other way around it i'm just saying it's you know it's hard and you know people want to continue to grow our sport but i don't know how much more we can grow with the limited availability of the races that are out there there's only so many places we can host races and the forest service is already understaffed and and underfunded you know it's it's tough to you know to get the approval for new races anymore um, they'll still happen. They'll, there'll still be new races popping up, and I hope they do. It gives people opportunities to do something else when they can't get into the lotteries, um, you know, that they're trying to get into. And I pray that everybody that you know is in lotteries has the opportunity to run those races at some point. Um, I've been, you know, more than fortunate to get into um, some of the bigger ones and and do some of the races that um, you know have lotteries and such. So I do pray that you get into to those and, and you get to enjoy that but you know, the lotteries have just seemed to you know get out of control especially the western states lottery it's just insane how many people are entering that lottery now and how many tickets are in and what the chances uh, are of, of actually running you know now that people are waiting you know potentially up to 10 years to get into to a race that's insane um <clears throat> but that's the state of our sport right uh, and that's the system that's what you know that's what we have to abide by um and just, you know, be patient. <laughs> and that's hard. <laughs> it's hard for us in a instant gratification society. So, um, but you know, it's, um, like I said, it, you know, these races are well worth it. Um, if you're waiting on hard rock, um, I know UTMB is controversial. Uh, there's a lot going on in that. Um, and, but you know, I, I'll tell you the UTMB course is amazing. Whether you go over there and do it on your own, um, or you do it um, during race week. It is an amazing race, uh, Chamonix, and that you know that uh, that whole um, circumnavigation of Mont Blanc is just phenomenal. It's incredible. Um, what an experience! Uh, so, uh, hate what UTMB is doing. If you do, that's you know that's that's your choice. I understand if you want to boycott them. Um, totally get it. You know, um, I did it in 2019 before all this craziness. So I was fortunate to kind of get it done. Um, but like I said, it's, it's an amazing race. So support them if you want, or, you know, um, or not, (laughs) it's totally your choice. But, uh, like I said, uh, I do suggest trying to get over there and seeing the course, um, whether you do the race or whether you just go for, you know, uh, a multi-day, um, adventure. (laughs) Um, so, um, one of the things that, um, I want to circle back to, um, you know, I've, I've talked on this podcast about my own experiences with my diet. Um, I've, I've had help with, um, a nutritionist in Merida Terranova. Um, I've sought advice from a registered dietitian in, uh, Jake Edmiston. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's something that I'm ironing out. It's taken me a long time to kind of figure out what's going on. And, um, I think we're finally on the right track. Um, but something that threw me off the track and something that I was just reading about in, uh, again, in, uh, Coop's research essentials is low energy availability. And, um, I found myself in that state of low energy availability in my training for quite some time and not understanding where it was coming from. I didn't think it was from overtraining. Um, but I just couldn't pinpoint. And as I start to connect the dots, I believe it was from intermittent fasting. Now there are a lot of, um, proponents for intermittent fasting and you know what they say the benefits are. Um, and you yourself may be, um, a huge advocate for intermittent fasting. So I'm not, what I'm about to say is not for everybody. I'm simply stating it put me into a state of low energy availability. Now that I am eating breakfast early in the morning prior to my runs, my runs have become so much better. I feel so much better. It's incredible what that does. Um, and it's also kickstarted my metabolism. Um, I, you know, I, I had questions come in from the podcast saying, well, what did you do different diet dietarily? 
And one of the key things that I did was just start to eat a small breakfast prior to running early in the morning. And that starts my metabolism. I was slowing my metabolism down too much um, by intermittent fasting. I needed to speed my metabolism back up. And by eating some calories prior to going for my run in the morning, I've done that. I have not put my, my, my system in a state of stress while I go running because it, it has the supplies it needs, the food, the calories, you know, to, 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 uh, to go for a run. Um, you know, running is such a stressful state to begin with. We don't need to overstress the system by running uh, fasted. So it's really changed my view about what I did. And, you know, there were times where I did not purposefully fast. You know, it was not my intention to. It was just I was rushed in the morning and just, you know, did not eat. Now I am being intentional and setting the intention of having some food in the morning prior to my runs. And as I said, that has changed my um, my whole running. <laughs> um, I am losing weight again. It, you know, my, my metabolism is is speeding back up. Um, it, it's not to say that's the only thing that you know that has helped me. Other pieces have been just portion control. And so my lunch is my biggest meal now, and my dinner is a smaller portion, so that I don't have a ton of calories before I lay down. <laughs> Um, you know, my snacking habits have changed. Um, so, you know, there are all these other little components that have helped. So it's, it's not to say that, that, you know, that simple act of eating before the run has totally been a game changer. Uh, There are other factors in this, you know, but like I said, you know, coming from what I would deem low energy availability and, and feeling like garbage for weeks on end and wondering why my runs felt so horrible. Uh, you know, I, I can see now that I wasn't fueling properly and that has really been a game changer. So if you are feeling the same way, if you're like, why am I so lethargic and sluggish on my runs? Why do I feel so awful so frequently? And it's not due to overtraining or, you know, or too high a volume, or too high intensity, you know, look to, do you have, um, enough fuel to fuel your run? (laughs) So do you, are you eating enough in order to fuel your run? Uh, and that's a conversation I suggest you have with, um, a trusted nutritionist or diet dietitian. Um, it's a great conversation to have. Um, I, I'm not here to make those kind of recommendations, um, you know, and what the Coopcast or excuse me, the research essentials was say, stating is that there is no real great way to provide evidence that you have low energy availability. You know, there's some calculations you can do to see if you're meeting your needs. But um, if you're in a state of low energy availability, it's really hard to diagnose. Um, so um, you know, have a conversation with your primary care physician have have a conversation with the dietitian you know these are people that should be on your team and you should have a contact to reach out to you know it, it shouldn't be somebody that you have to you know uh, rely on all the time but having those people and that you know that contact information and that um you know that availability to you is huge so um you know please make them a part of your team and consider those things all right i think i said enough on that <laughs> Um, another book that um, has really been um, influential on my thought process in the past year um, is Damien Hall's book, We Can't Run Away From This. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a great book. It is on um, Amazon uh, or um, Audible, if you will, uh, so you can listen to it. But there are some great pieces and takeaways from this. Now, Damien is um, almost to the point of an evangelist when it comes to um, our carbon footprint. And he does some, you know, some things that um, I don't know if I could ever go as far as what he does in order to be as minimal in leaving a carbon footprint as he does. It's pretty impressive, I'll be honest. Um, But it has changed my views on my consumer habits. So, in other words, do I need another piece of apparel? Do I need another pair of shoes? Do I need a new watch? Um, usually the answer is no. 
And that's what I have to remember. And every time that something pops into my head, if I see an item, I think about Damien's book and what these items cost at a carbon footprint level. You know, the the emissions that it, it <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that it costs not only to produce these items, but to, to ship them and land them in my hands. Um, there's just a lot of damage, environmental damage that our industry does um, by uh, overconsumption of, of products. Um, there's just so many shiny objects out there. I get it. And I was guilty of buying way too many shoes. Uh, my basement right now is disgusting with how many shoes that I have. Um, you know, I, I, I have shoes in very varied states. And, um, so I, I am guilty of buying and over consuming, but this book has made me recognize that, that I was over consuming and that I don't need to purchase as much as I, you know, as I constantly do. Um, you know, my, my puffy got torn. I sent it back to Patagonia. They sewed it back up and sent it back to me for $15. So I'm trying to be a little bit more frugal with, you know, with products I already have, um, and making sure that I make the products that I have last, um, you know, and, and I don't judge anybody that thinks differently that wants to, you know, to purchase a new pair of shoes, but I suggest you read this book and hear what goes into the production of apparel and the production of shoes and what it does to the environment, just so you have an understanding of, you know, when you buy something, the effect that it has. Um, so please do check out uh, Damian Hall's book. We can't run away from this. Uh, it may change your mind on it, quite a few items. Um, but and, and I appreciate the fact that he wrote this and had the, the wherewithal and the bravery to kind of stand up to, uh, uh, to our society in general because we are a society of, of consumption. We, we, you know, we buy so many products. Um, and, uh, you know, some of it is, we just have to think, is it necessary or is it just a want? Um, you know, the difference between a want and a need is, is, is quite, um, it's quite, uh, it's quite big. (laughs) So, um, I'm trying to make sure that I buy the things I need and, and just hold off on, uh, on things that I want. (laughs) Um, which has been tough, but you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a good change. It is a good shift. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy that I'm not, you know, I'm not clicking the the purchase button so often. (laughs) So anyway, check out that book. Really great book. Okay. Um, the last piece of this, I have talked about these two books, um, at length on other podcasts. So I, I don't think I need to go too in depth on them, but, um, the last piece of the state of our sport is where we've come from, um, a mental training standpoint, the, you know, the exercise, um, uh, physiology is, is wonderful, but the, the mental training, um, and training our, our psyche and our ability to have, um, the wherewithal to, uh, to withstand these, these tough events, um, uh, you know, I, I first read Travis Macy's book, Ultra Mindset, back in 2016. Uh, it was a fantastic, fantastic read. Um, really started me on the path of training my mind and my body and, and being a, more mentally tough, understanding how and what tools I needed to implore and, um, and, you know, and, and put into use while racing, while training. Um, so I, I, attribute Travis Macy to a lot of this, uh, you know, that's a great book. Um, one that, you know, I've gone through multiple times. I've listened to it. I've read it. I've, <laughs> I've gone through some of the exercises in there multiple times. Uh, so it's one that I keep coming back to. Uh, so Travis Macy's ultra mindset. And the other one that I reference quite frequently on the podcast is Addie Bracey's mental training for ultra running. That is another book that is just a wealth of activities and tools that you can use in your running and daily life. Both books are not just applicable to to running, but to your life. Um, 
you know, I, I think it's one piece of the pie that sometimes we don't work hard enough on is that mental piece. Because as we know, running is a huge mental component. It has a huge mental component. So training it, making yourself more efficient and stronger, that's just, you know, I mean, why wouldn't you? <laughs> so those two books, I think, are a good starting point. There's, you know, there's some great other resources, and perhaps we talk about those at another time. But, um, you know, these books coming out, Natty Bracey's book just coming out, more, you know, more recently, I think, uh, the, you know, it's really come to light that we need to work on these things and acknowledge our weaknesses, um, not only physically but mentally. You know, we talked about the, the the physical training books, but these two books will help you train mentally. Um, and in the state of our sport, I think that's just vital. You know, it's training. If we look at every component, you know, we've talked about nutrition, we've talked about um, uh, the physical training, we've talked about the mental training. You know, these are all pieces that that are a huge part of your running. And if you're training it holistically, looking at every piece of it then you know, you're going to be a better runner. So um, I really encourage you to, to pick those books up, maybe ask for them for the holidays here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, again, I'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Um, but, yeah, you know, the state of our sport is amazing. Uh, we've grown. You know, we went through COVID and we missed races. Um, now races are back. Uh, and I, I think – you know, we're learning to, to help support our local events however we can, be it through volunteering uh, or racing them. You know, we're, we're really, we've changed. We have. We understand the importance of our, our races, our local races, and supporting those. Um, we understand the importance of the trail. More people are getting out to do trail work, and I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, I, I try to advocate for, for trail work as much as I can. Um, you know, I've been doing trail work since, uh, 2000 and, oh my goodness, I think 2008, I started doing trail work, um, on my section in the mountains to sea trail, which it's time for me to get back up there as soon as the parkway reopens. <laughs> um, but you know, the trails, if you see that there's, um, you know, sections that need it, um, report it report it to the agencies that maintain it. And if you can help, you know, see if you can join them for a work day, um, get out there. You know, a lot of these races require that you have eight hours of trail maintenance. If you can go beyond that, you know, get out there and help, um, keep these trails open and, and nice. Cause you know, you go for a run and you're like, Oh my gosh, there's so many trees down. Well, see, see if you can be a part of, you know, remedying that. That's I, you know, I say it time and time again, trail work is just, it's great because it makes it better for all of us, you know, everybody that uses it. So get out there if you can, that's my, my biggest encouragement. So, um, yep. I mean, you know, nothing profound, uh, the state of our sport here. Uh, but I think there's a lot of, of pieces in here. Hopefully you can take away to help your own training and help your own running. And if it, it brings up questions and you have questions about anything that I've said, you want me to expound upon them, ask. Let me know um, because there's there's so much. Uh, there, I mean, there's so many other items we could get into, but those are some of the biggest things that um, came to my my mind when uh, when I thought about where we're at in the sport and things that I'm learning that you know um, were a surprise to me or were very helpful to me. So, um, like I said, let me know if you have any questions. Um, <clears throat> as I said, and obviously I'm still not over this illness. Um, I am running, but I'm just taking it easy. Um, I do have South mountains coming up, um, here, January 7th, the half marathon, uh, as my training stands right now, I am not feeling too confident that I'm going to actually, you know, go after a solid race there. I'm probably just going to go run <laughs> and enjoy the, you know, the, the race atmosphere. Uh, cause it's just been this past three weeks has just been tough on me. Um, you know, being sick, uh, I don't feel awful, but you know, this cough, I can tell my heart rate's still a little bit high, you know, when I go run, 
Um, I'm looking at my heart rate, trying to stay zone two right now and just take it easy on my body, not create too much stress, not go too hard. I've been trying to control the environment, you know, here in Western North Carolina, it's super cold in the mornings when I run. So, uh, more often than not, I have just been hopping on the treadmill just to stay warm and, and to kind of control the environment, um, so that I, I don't get, you know, sicker. Um, it, even though going outside is great, um, the cold air kind of hurts my lungs, <laughs> you know, the way I feel right now. So. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, trainings, it's okay. It's, it's not been great, unfortunately, but, um, it's, you know, still early in the training cycle. So happy to be able to run. I can say that. Um, and then so far as coaching goes, um, I've had some new athletes come on. I've had some, some old athletes pop off cause it's, it's that time of year. And, uh, if you're interested in coaching as always, just reach out. All my contact information is in the show notes. I'm happy to um, to have a conversation with you. Um, you know the the kind of process is if you reach out, um, I'll send you my call schedule. We'll we'll sign up for a time that works for you, and then um, we'll have a phone conversation and kind of talk about what I do. Uh, you know, and and what your goals are, and uh, if if things sound good to you, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll proceed from there. Um, as I said, next week, we're going to be talking about finding a coach. So, um, you'll hear from two other coaches as well, as we kind of have a panel discussion about, uh, about finding a good coach and how things, um, how things work with coaching. So, um, stay tuned for that. Looking forward to that. Uh, also going to be interviewing, um, the CEO of New York Roadrunners Club, which I'm super excited about, uh, over the holidays, um, as well as, um, Jamie from, um, Flame Bearers. Uh, so, uh, got a lot of stuff coming up. I'm pretty excited, uh, for the podcast. So some cool things as always, thanks to my Patreon supporters. You guys are amazing. Um, if you can support at the Patreon, uh, the link is in the show notes. Also on my website, running Uh, lastly, I've got a few hats left. They have been going fast, which I really do appreciate the support guys. Um, if you want to know what they look like, check out my social media. It's on Facebook and Instagram. You can see, um, I've got, uh, uh, winter beanie fleece lined, a, uh, headband that's fleece lined as well as a really cool, um, trucker. I'm pretty stoked about the trucker. Uh, it's, like I said, at the last week, it's, it's probably one of my favorites. So if you're interested in one of those, just reach out to me. Um, uh, and the, uh, um, uh, the beanie is, uh, $24 that includes shipping. All these prices include shipping. The headband is 28 and the trucker is 35. So, um, but please reach out if you'd like one of those. Appreciate that greatly. Um, want to support, um, the brand that supports me right now, Useway. I've got a discount code. If you're interested in checking out a Useway pack, you can uh, use the discount code in the show notes. They've been fantastic in support um, of my endeavors, so I appreciate them. Um, and I think that's it. Until next time, my friends, keep moving forward. <laughs>